All right, so uh, welcome everyone uh, to this week's episode of Lorebeards. We're actually doing it at the time we uh, originally planned to <laughs> do this show, which is a rare treat. Um, so uh, I believe this is the fourth episode of Lorebeards, and we are super excited for today's show. There's a lot of really cool things to talk about, There's a couple of cool things to show off. Um, there are a lot of things going on in the Warhammer community, especially, um, not just within Total War, but outside of Total War. And this week, we've got our first special guest. So, uh, real quick, uh, just as a quick intro for, uh, for anyone that may be new to Lorebeards or is listening to us for the first time, which is something I actually had not considered until this week. Um, I am a lore master of Sotek. I am kind of one of the big uh, Warhammer Fantasy lore people uh, on the YouTubes and in other places, but I'm also very involved in... Uh, uh, various aspects of the Warhammer community. Uh, pretty much anywhere I can stick my fingers in, I do. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan, who will give a brief introduction of himself, which we need to make sure we do this every week in the future because we haven't done this. So I, I'm uh, Nathan. I own the Great Book of Grudges channel. I'm a Warhammer tabletop competitive player uh, from all settings, not just uh, Warhammer Fantasy, but um, 30k, 40k. Dabbling a little bit in Age of Sigmar now. And I... I love my lore. I love I love the universe. I've grown up with it, and it's pretty much all I know. All right, and uh, we have our very first ever guest here on Lore Beards. We are joined by Anticity. Anticity, if you'd be so kind as to kind of give everyone a brief rundown of what you do and who you are. Yeah, so uh, like you said, I am Anticity. I streamed on Twitch, but am now on YouTube. I play primarily multiplayer competitive uh, Warhammer Total War. And I've been in the scene for about uh, a little bit, a good amount over a year now, I think. Uh, I know nothing about lore, mostly just <laughs> perusing the uh, YouTube videos. And uh, yeah, I, that's, that's basically my main focus. But every once in a while, I'll really grind out a speed run uh, and, and have some fun with that. Ah uh, yes, <laughs> speedruns. You you have uh, you've walked away with a lot of money from my bank account because of speedruns. <laughs> um, so uh, real quick, just a quick couple of little uh, housekeeping things to take care of uh, before we uh, really dive into uh, today's topics. Is that first off, just a quick reminder to everyone that uh, last week we started a tale of two gamers which is basically a series where me and Nathan will be attempting to uh, complete certain painting projects to get through our plastic crack um, and get it out of the boxes and off the sprues. And um, uh, for uh, the first challenge, it is to do a hero or a character. It can literally be any setting. It could be Warhammer Fantasy, Age of Sigmar, 40k, 30k. It doesn't even have to be Warhammer really. It can be whatever game you want, King's War, whatever. I don't care. Um, just a reminder, those are due next week. Uh, if you want to participate, you can use the uh, Lorebeards hashtag on Twitter, or you can uh, post it on my Discord. We have a tabletop models and painting section where you can just at me with it, and I'll make sure uh, we will be showing off those next uh, next episode. I've already received a couple entries, and they look great. I also want to call attention to something really special that we received. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Nathan. Uh, I meant to post it in chat, but uh, I'm going to do that right now right now but we actually got our first piece of fan art <laughs> which is someone made this picture for our who would win of last week i just posted in the discord of grimgore wrestling uh <laughs> freaking uh Tarek's the brass bull 
and I'll have it pulled up here uh, so the stream can see it. But uh, we want to give uh, a big thank you <laughs> to the artist behind this. Uh, I retweeted him on Twitter if anyone wants to check that out. But it's absolutely glorious and hysterical. So, uh, yeah, wonderful piece. Thank you for that. Well, uh, if I can just show my display. There it is. Put it up there for you guys. Yeah, it's a hysterical piece. Uh, we, we love that kind of stuff. If if there if there are any artists out there and you hear anything stupid enough that you would love to make art of it, I'd be happy to show it on stream or what have you. Uh, we mm. love that kind of stuff. Any way that we can find ways to interact with you guys is wonderful. So, with all that housekeeping stuff, I think that's everything I had for the intro. Yep, uh, taken care of. Let's jump into today's big topic, which was the uh, main reason we had Anticity come on today was that uh, I've actually been watching a whole bunch of uh, Total War Warhammer 2 multiplayer lately. Um, I've been watching a ton of streams from Turin, uh, Intensity, and some other people because uh, the scene seems to be kind of popping right now um, and is uh, recovering from CA's uh, accidental recent attempt to kill it. <laughs> so um, I wanted to invite on Anticity to kind of talk about um, the multiplayer setting, and uh, especially because we're kind of at the end of an era here at the end of Total War Warhammer 2, um, with, you know, this being one of the last patches, you know, uh, I know me and Nathan are both secretly clutching our butts, hoping that there will be some vampire character slipped in somewhere, but barring that, uh, we're done with Total War Warhammer 2, and, um, we're gonna, Intensity's gonna kind of help walk us through, um, how everything's changed, how everything's uh, been. So uh, kind of to just give us somewhere to start. Anticity, could you um, kind of give us your thoughts on, now that we're here at the end of Total War Warhammer 2, can you kind of walk us through your uh, thoughts and experience over the course of the game? You know, where we had things like the Everchosens and we had like this multiplayer scene, uh, scene really go from being kind of a casual done in everyone's basement kind of scenario to something that's a lot more bigger and active. Yeah, so let's see, like I said, playing like since longer than a year now. So I came in at about like uh, early-ish in Warhammer 2. The old world stuff was transferred over. I think it was around the time Coast came out, maybe a little bit after. Uh, but when when I first started playing, it was pretty sparse compared to it to how it is now like just looking for tournaments there were like two tournaments every week just mostly my son hw and turin that i could find at least as a newer player mm. but like nowadays and it's just been slowly up and up you have tournaments with like more than 100 people there are multiple tournaments a day especially with the new patch that has come out and it's just exploded like crazy the skill level of players has skyrocketed like looking at uh, games of players like the top tier players from like a couple of years ago it looks like really bad there's mistakes left and right just everywhere and just watching like the the scene grow from like its humble beginnings it's uh it has really just just gone crazy like it's extremely easy to to find games now and to compete. So that that's sort of mostly been its trend with uh, with each DLC. Actually, generally with each DLC, there's a little bit of a hiccup because of the initial problems. Yeah. But then the and, patch comes. Inevitable bugs. Yeah. Yeah, and then it 
and then it goes up again and just a constant upward trend every time it dips down it'll bounce right back up and yeah that that's basically the the process over the last uh, while i think recently even though it's still going up it's petering out a little bit in terms of gains just because uh, everyone's waiting for warhammer 3 and sort of anticipating that but all in all i think it's yeah it's been great yeah, so um, speaking of patches, um, the most recent one, so not not the DLC, which of course screwed a lot of things up because it was just wacky um, and had a lot of bizarre interactions with the game and brought a, it kind of resurrected a lot of weird bugs and all that stuff. But um, in the most recent patch, something that's garnered a lot of attention from the community and something uh, I'd love to hear you uh, kind of talk about a little bit was the most recent patch uh as far as um especially the cavalry changes uh at least the proposed ones uh we know obviously it's still in a beta so it's not 100 percent. and uh, to my understanding the beta and the bug fix patch are not the same patch they're like completely separate branches so they're not interacting right now which is unfortunate but uh you know kind of hand waving that nonsense out of the way which will hopefully be fixed soon um could you kind of walk us through, I, I had heard that Calvary were suffering from some issues, but I didn't realize it was severe enough to actually garner a patch. Um, what, what are your, kind of your thoughts on the most recent patches as far as, do you feel, uh, so I guess let's start with kind of like focusing on the Calvary issues specifically, and how do you feel about this new patch and the proposed solutions, and have you messed around with it any, and what, what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, so I looked at the... So for, for Cavalry right now, I guess I guess we'll just start with that. Uh, right now, they're still effective. A lot of people in multiplayer will still run them, even in campaign. It's a lot of micro, but you can still get them to work. Uh, obviously, other builds are better, but they still, they still function as Hammer and Anvil. They don't really lose any of that. But the main problem was that uh, when they get countercharged by infantry, they trade really, really badly. And uh, in prior patches before this uh, change to cavalry came in, the the strategy was to was to get a lot of those charges in just on the open field, without any hammer and anvil. Uh, and after that happened, a lot of old play styles just went out of the window. And with the beta, it mostly aims to to allow for that uh, more. Uh, cavalry isn't. From what I've tested anyways, they don't seem extremely busted in beta. If you leave, if you charge a unit and leave them in combat, they'll still die and trade badly. But the main uh, sort of tool that they gain is that over a long period of time, if they get to constantly cycle charge a unit of infantry, they will be more effective. Uh, other than that, though, it's it's more or less uh, more or less the same. I think. The beta branch, uh, although it, it hasn't been explored a ton because it does have a lot of the bugs in the old patch, Cavalry, they, I think, I think it's overall good. Everything, uh, all the changes that they did for Cavalry in, in the beta. Okay, great. And uh, kind of bouncing off that, assuming they get the uh, beta patch to be updated with the regular patch, uh, and then eventually get the beta patch working and get it fixed in, uh, assuming there's nothing else being added to World Warhammer 2. So this is, let's say this is the last thing, which could be likely, even though we're hoping it's not, but it could be likely. Um, what are your thoughts on the ending place 
for so like you know this is this is where the hatchet drops this is the end of total war warhammer 2 what what are, you, what are your thoughts on where the game has ended do you think it's in a good spot do you think it's maybe in kind of an awkward place it still needs some serious things or like you know kind of kind of what are your thoughts on it from someone who's just really heavily a part of that multiplayer scene yeah i think uh at the moment things are feeling pretty great uh, a lot of the factions are seeing a lot of play i think in the previous patch it was a lot of beastmen just because of the various uh, problems, and they might still be top tier. So as sort of the meta develops, and I don't think we're actually there yet, like the multiplayer community hasn't fully settled on a, on a meta. Uh, so I think if Beastmen were to become the dominant faction, then it would sort of be the same as the last patch where everyone just was really sick of green skins. So, Honestly, I'm I'm not sure if Warhammer 3 were to come out tomorrow. I think where Warhammer 2 left off would be great. But I think in like a few months from now, it could be it, like people could be really sick of how things stabilize. But that's sort of been a consistent theme with many of the patches. The deciding factor on how sick of things people get is more the distance between patches that really uh that really impacts things. But so far, I think it's pretty nice right now. I'm, I'm fairly happy with the state of things. Okay, great. And, um, uh, and then for, for those who are listening that are maybe kind of uh, interested, because, it, I mean, they are very fun to watch. One thing that I have to give major props to the multiplayer community for is that one of my probably biggest beefs <laughs> historically with the multiplayer community was that they weren't always fun to watch. But it uh, over the course of time, the rules that have been kind of led by the community, because for those listening, it's not just quick battles. It's it, There's a more complex system uh, when you play in traditional multiplayer because they have their own rule sets, which I'm not sure... Uh, what, what rule set are y'all on right now? Right now there's two, but I think there's talks of merging them back into one, sort of the same as it was before. Yeah, so um, uh, for those uh, listening, the, these rules kind of help mitigate like really boring to watch or boring to fight against or toxic to fight against rather uh, play styles and also kind of help keep armies like reasonably balanced so someone doesn't just completely steamroll everyone by taking some cheesy nonsense. But um, are, do you think there, do you have any expectations of the uh, those rules changing any time in the future or do you think they they're pretty much settling down at, at kind of with the, the the rest of the dust that's settling at the end of warhammer 2 i think right now it's more or less winding down to uh early especially with patches it there's so much discussion that happens amongst the the rule makers that it can really just just drain you for a good few months and i think as of right now, it might settle down. It really depends on when the next content drop happens. Uh, because, you know, if things get stale, just restricting different units can have a huge impact on how the meta actually plays out. So that, that could be a possibility, but I think that would be a ways away if it were going to happen. Awesome. Um, so for anyone uh, who's listening and maybe wants to watch games, you know, kind of get an eye on the scene, start to watch 
participate in the community um for so for just people who want to kind of be able to tune in for games and stuff um can you give any good advice on where they should go kind of like what time like what days they should be looking at stuff like that if someone's wanting to like oh this sounds interesting i'd love to check it out and watch people play games where would you recommend they go yeah so uh right now i think the majority of viewers are all on youtube although some people will be streaming on twitch but the best place to go right now is definitely Turin's Discord. So if you just go to YouTube and uh, look up Turin, on his Discord, it has links to everyone else's like channels and, and content and so on. So from there, you can find any multiplayer content creator you want, essentially, and go from there. Uh, a lot of them will specialize in playstyles, like for myself. Uh, a lot of people come just to watch me play Vampire Coast. So yeah, you can you can mostly just pick and choose exactly what you want. Uh, for like the most consistent content, there's like a ton of people. You know, just uh on uh, the the list will go on and on. But uh essentially yeah from from there I think that's like the best staging point. There's also the dedicated Warhammer tournament Discord, but uh I'd have to find a, a link to that one. I guess I can send it to you later. But those are like the two main staging grounds to find other people. And you'll see every day there's just multiple links to various streams that are going up. So that's probably the best place to to dive into viewing it. Okay, great. And um, uh, another thing is then if people are thinking about playing, uh, is there any big advice or like a need-to-know guide you would suggest for new players? So someone that maybe wants to get involved in the multiplayer, uh, but either they've never played it before or they're really hesitant about playing. And, you know, obviously they need to go somewhere where they're not just going to get their face kicked in at every opportunity uh, immediately by like the best people. Uh, where would you say is the best place for people to go who maybe want to get start getting involved? So I think first things first, finding any of the discords and just asking around. There's just tons of people that are willing to help new players get into the scene. Um, that's probably the, the biggest way to, to start diving in. I, there are even uh, a lot of new player programs too. Uh, for example, I think uh, my son HW, he, he actually primarily streams on Twitch, but he has a fresh recruit league that is specifically for new players to the multiplayer community. So that, that's a great way to jump in. That's actually how I jumped into multiplayer when I first started. Um, found a Discord, I think I joined through, uh, through Turin's, found the Fresh Recruit League, and then played against people of the same skill level. Uh, there's the Ranked Ladder that I made on my own Discord that has matchmaking, unlike Quick Battles, that will specifically find closer matches to you. And uh, even just playing in tournaments and getting stomped, one thing that's really useful is just contacting your opponent afterwards and asking to get some games to practice. Uh, because of how CA have, have set up the multiplayer lobbies, you have to invite people to be your friend in some situations to actually see the lobby. And that's actually a really good excuse just to talk to people and to connect with them to get some more practice. And uh, from there, it's, it's very straightforward, just, uh, just improving and so on. And just finding loads of people to play with. Uh, one thing I wouldn't recommend though, just hopping on a Discord 
and going to uh, sort of like the, the find matches channel and asking around to find games, usually that can be a little bit sparse, which is why I feel like joining these sort of uh, bigger events is much better for people. Uh, that's good advice. <laughs> that's actually a really good note there. Um, speaking of, of events and uh, kind of track stuff, to my understanding, you've actually started kind of your own system uh, or a, a ladder of sorts. Could you, could you kind of tell us about what you've, what you've been working on over on uh, YouTube? Yeah, so I created a, a Discord bot that is essentially there to be a better quick battle system for Warhammer multiplayer. Because right now the quick battle system, it's, it just matches you with anyone. It doesn't have any leagues or anything. It's like the bare bones system. So uh, for anyone who's played StarCraft, it's very similar to that. You have various leagues from master all the way to bronze. It tracks your ELO. I have the list of all games that everyone has played and you can pull data from it as you wish. So if you want to see your ELO over time, it will print that. It will show your total games won over time. It's, it's Damn. okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I've been working on it for like a year. Oh my goodness. But uh, yeah, it's, I, and I'm still working on it too. There's an infinite number of improvements that I can make for it. Uh, eventually in the long term, if Warhammer 3 like could could be improved on for its multiplayer, I could get like a website up where you have your own account where you can look at your your data and so on and the players that you've played against. So yeah, essentially it can it can just keep going on and on. And uh, in general, it's mostly just an easy place to find games in between tournaments. It uses the rule sets for tournaments too. So it's just like, it's a really nice stepping stone, jumping into them and, and practicing between them. So yeah, that, that's mostly just been my, my passion project for, I think 250 days now since it's been live. Uh, and that's man, a, that's it's a much more productive yeah. passion project than anything I've been doing. Well, it's, it's also really good for applying for programming jobs too. So it's, it does. It does two things for me. Two birds, one stone. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What, you're, what you're designing is more or less kind of like, uh, like the uh, fan-made uh, leaderboard for like, that used to exist for uh, BattleNet, in a sense. Yeah. So um, I don't know about uh, BattleNet. I think for Warcraft Three, they had their own uh, sort of their own like separate system of yeah. multiplayer. It's it's actually pretty heavily inspired from that. Initially, yeah. I wanted to make a, a mod where you could find matches in-game automatically, but I never got around to learning that because there's a lot to code. But uh, yeah, essentially, it's that. It's, it's just a better multiplayer system. like that. That with yeah, tournaments connected. That's really interesting. Um, I, I didn't realize it was that uh, sophisticated when I heard about it. I, <laughs> I just thought someone was keeping track with like pen and paper or something. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. It, all automated yeah would, would you would you recommend like if people are like wanting to kind of start getting into multiplayer and stuff would you recommend getting involved on your ladder as like a potential place to like find people of similar player levels and stuff or oh, would yeah, you consider sure. it more of like an intermediate kind of thing so uh right now and a lot of people have asked actually asked me about this on whether or not the system is set up for new players like they're worried oh you know i don't want to just go in and get trashed or sort of not give people good games it's designed for, for newer players, and it gets better the more people join in. 
So what me and a bunch of my mods actually set up uh, this, like the next weekend, 18th and 19th, there's going to be a huge launch uh, event for the new autumn season where I think like just tons, we have like, like night, like 12 different streamers that are all going to be streaming at the same time and supporting it. So it should be a really nice situation for, for newer players that just want to sort of dive into things. Uh, with the new addition of the the leagues, it should be helping. And I'm keeping a, an eye on it every day so I can tune the uh, sort of how the matchmaking works based on how many people there are. So I would say it's, it's definitely pretty good, but also just having connections and, and messaging people is a great way to to sort of get your initial games in, especially if you're worried about diving into tournaments and best of threes, because there's a lot of there, to be honest, there are quite a few rules and some of the systems can be hard to get used to. So just having like people to talk to, to ask questions about is a, is a great way. And all the discords have ways to do that. That's awesome. That actually sounds great. I might actually uh, start looking into that myself. That actually sounds like a really good time. Um, uh, but kind of speaking of the future and kind of looking at the future, uh, I do want to hear your thoughts um, on Warhammer 3 and what, granted, we don't know a lot right now. Everything's kind of up in the air and it looks like there's going to be a substantial amount of changes. But do you have do you have any thoughts from a multiplayer perspective on what they've shown so far, as far as the new battle types, that like resource system, or any of these things? Like we we know there are going to be a substantial amount of changes, particularly when it comes to uh, like even spells and how a lot of units works and stuff. But looking at it from a multiplayer view or perspective, what how how are you feeling about the game so far? Okay, so there's, there are so many things that the community is worried about for multiplayer. And I think a lot of the single <laughs> The multiplayer guys community know. worried? I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, you, you know all about it where just, they'll, they'll, it'll be so much worry that it spills over into the single player community. Uh, just starting off at the most basic level, there's seven factions being added to the game. That increases the faction pool by almost 50%. And that means the pick band systems will have to be different. Uh, there's a few philosophies you can go about it where you want every, you either want like every faction to be balanced, or you can say everyone has access to every faction. So technically it's, it's all balanced, but people don't enjoy that. Of course, they enjoy having the different varieties and being able to play anything. So I think it's, it's going to mix up a lot just based off of that, even if it was just a huge DLC. Uh, after that, there is the, the new game mode, which I'm pretty optimistic about. Uh, other people are really pessimistic about it, which is natural, um, because uh, a lot of the factions as of right now haven't been balanced around this different game mode either. So like they've been balanced for sort of the, uh, the deathmatch system. You just, you're on a field, you fight against each other, and then that's how it goes. But um, even different play styles, right? So for people that like uh, kiting, just, you know, mobile cavalry archers, chase, like running away from units and shooting at them. If there's capture points and it's not designed well enough, that play style just might not work at all. Um, and also, uh, like you said, the, the magic system being reworked, uh, it's, it will be 
a completely different game. Uh, especially one thing, I think magic uh magic weapons don't lose their damage from magic resistance. Right. Anymore, so right? yeah, there's no more magic resistance. There's now yeah. spell resistance, which is what it should have been in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I think like from uh from a design like overall standpoint, I think it it works a lot better because it makes more sense for for Warhammer. Um, but in terms of balance, oh my goodness, it changes everything. Specifically for dwarves too, because they rely a lot on that uh, magic resist, and it will. It, the the balance will have to be really looked at. Otherwise, you could see a lot of imbalance. And although I personally don't mind it too much, since you know a lot of games can't balance three factions perfectly, with you know what like uh, twenty. 22 factions, I yeah, think. Yeah, and we're coming up on like 25 or 30 <laughs> or yeah, something at this point. It all. So, you know, uh, but always, uh, and what's sort of inconsistent for Warhammer is that skill will like will very often prevail over balance. I think at most you'll be able to beat people like one tier above you if you get a good enough matchup. But a lot of the time, the better player will will still come out on top. Even like one of the, the best multiplayer guys right now, Falcon, just memes a lot of builds versus extremely good players and just destroys them. So uh, overall, like I think balance-wise, it will be in more or less the right place. It won't be perfect, but uh, it'll be enough to get by for sure. Yeah, and I will say, um, I, I do hope that those new modes being added will kind of add some just further variety. Because I'm sure we'll still see, like, probably the most... I imagine the most popular format will still be just the classic deathmatch on a field. Um, but the idea that you could play capture point games, or that hopefully sieges will be good, <laughs> and cool. hopefully minor settlement battles will be good... Um, you know, could just add new styles of gameplay uh, for to just keep things fresh. Because something that you said earlier that I kind of agree with is that, you know, Total War Warhammer is a little notorious for particularly the multiplayer community getting a little stale between uh, updates. And I, I think that's just because the game is so... There's only one possible way to play it right now, you know? There's like a few, like, uh, tournaments... Like, some people call them more meme tournaments, where, you know, they allow campaign units and so on. But that's usually the progression of things. If the, if people are getting tired, they'll host tournaments with different rule sets. Uh, actually, there's been a lot of Warhammer 3 themed tournaments, like for Corn, where you can't bring any, like, uh, you can't bring any offensive magic. So your armies have to be primarily melee and so on. You have to build, like, Slanesh armies with, you know any faction that you choose under like certain conditions. So like people, people will mix it up in the end. All right, great. Well, I, I am excited for the third game. Um, obviously for anyone listening, it, it it's going to be wild because there's probably going to be a game two and a game three separate metas because it's likely that game three will not combine with game two until later. Um, so that's going to be weird. <laughs> it's people trying to get used to both playing both games at once. Did you uh did you ever play in the like sort of the transition between game one and two? I never sort of experienced that. Did people sort of hop over all at once or what? I I did play in it, um, but I I would say for the most part, it it a lot of people continued playing game one. It it just the community kind of split 
but it was more just because you know kind of variety is the spice of life kind of situation where you're there's only so much you could do with four races um and uh so it it's kind of one of those things where particularly going into Warhammer 3 when you're going to have such a vast change where like i mean certain certain systems in 3 are just drastically different where like the magic pool is doubled spells are like are looking very different um and like and like you know you're going to have um the four chaos gods plus the two human factions plus most likely um ogre kingdoms based on every piece of evidence we've had plus the mystery ninth lord which in my opinion is probably bellacor leading a mono de- or all demons faction um i mean <laughs> i i don't know um it, i think it'll just depend like if it's drastically more fun then everyone will probably just immediately jump ship but i'm sure there will be people that hate it and refuse <laughs> it will just play total war 2 until but like merging those games i can't imagine how long it's going to take just because of the fundamental changes alone Hopefully, hopefully it all goes well, better than uh, better than game two. Yeah, hopefully better than the game two launch. Um, hopefully. <laughs> uh, Nathan, you got any uh, multiplayer related questions for our guest here? To be honest, not really. I don't really dive into the multiplayer stuff. Uh, like I said, when I do competitive play, I get kind of toxic, so I try to avoid it. <laughs> That's fair. That's I know that feel well. That's why I. That's why they hired me to cast Everchosen's and got me to stop playing them. <laughs> They're like, some deck's gonna have a heart attack. Somebody get up in the casting chair. Um, but uh, that's great. Um, but so um, I I think that is uh probably enough to kind of wrap up um multiplayer and kind of how things are going right now. Definitely something to keep an eye on, especially because the cavalry patch is only in beta. Uh, which does mean, of course, that it's susceptible to change. Um, there may be some further bug fixes, because I think even in the regular bug patch, there's still a couple of old floaters, or a couple of bugs still floating around. Yeah. Uh, I don't, like, I, uh, I'm not aware of any serious ones, but... Um, yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> because... Uh, nothing too serious. Like, the game is very much playable right now. Good. Uh, yeah, I'm. I am excited for them to merge those two branches because I know a lot of people are really eager for cavalry to function, uh, like you would expect them to. Um, as much as I hate cycle charging, <laughs> I understand it's supposed to kind of exist. Um. All right. So, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic for today, which is ah we're hopping into something fun we've got a who would win coming up next on the docket uh nathan you best want to make sure you have your poll ready here in just a minute um but we're gonna do it a little bit different this time uh i am making sure that instead of just jumping into the who would win uh, i'm going to give a brief overview of each character (laughs) so everyone's kind of on the same page then we'll talk about the actual matchup um so uh today's matchup uh which was recommended in my uh discord channel and i want to give a huge thanks to everyone that was uh tossing out uh suggestions is setra the imperishable versus archaon the ever chosen so 
um, we are going to go ahead and uh, start with kind of giving a base matchup. Uh, for anyone that's not familiar with the Who Would Win format, essentially we put these two characters in an arena, they fight to the death, and whoever wins wins in our opinions and we kind of talk through it but the key thing is they don't get any bodyguards they don't get any units um but they do get their full mounts and all their equipment and it is assumed that they are basically at the height of their power as we knew them in eighth edition so no no end times level powers um so we have in one corner Setcher the imperishable the mightiest of the tomb kings the king of kings the kimrikara the eagle of the desert and Lord of the Four Sands and all sorts of billions of names that go on for days and days and days. And uh, what he brings into the battle is that Setra the Imperishable is, of course, the mightiest of the Tomb Kings, which Tomb Kings are very, very tough, durable individuals. Uh, they do have a nasty habit of being flammable, which is worthy of note uh, due to the way their bodies were prepped when they died. Uh, we, but uh, Setra is quite tough. He's got his Chariot of the Gods as his mount which does provide him with a reasonable amount of armor. It's a nasty f chariot that's magical and has flaming wheels that burn anybody that get close that have sides on them because sides wheels are just very hot in fashion in most races. He also has the Blessed Blade of Petra as his signature weapon, which is a flaming Blessed Blade uh, uh, blessed by the sun god Petra of... I think it's actually just Tra <laughs> of... Uh, um, Kimri, which not only means the weapon is flaming and constantly burning, but it actually blinds like the sun in that it literally is the power of the sun imbued into a weapon. So it is very hard to look at. Uh, it will blind you and it slices through armor like butter. There is no armor other than armors that render magic weapons useless that can halt it very easily. Uh, he also has uh, his crown but his crown does not do anything in a combat scenario so we're going to ignore it and then most importantly he has the uh brooch of usirian which is a amulet that he wears that's blessed by the most powerful god now in nehekara usirian god of the underworld and the big thing with that is that it not only protects him from all forms of damage but it makes him virtually immune to the effects of spells then on the other side, we have Archeon the Everchosen, who is a reasonable wizard. He's not an amazing wizard, but he's a decent caster. Uh, he's able to uh, come in with a couple of uh, different lores of magic. We will assume he has lore of fire in this matchup, as it's lore most commonly associated with him. Um, and it's the one he shows up with in Total War Warhammer. You could assume, I think, also that he could come in with the lore of Zinch, but either way, uh, he does have some burning goodness. Uh, he has, for his equipment, the Slayer of Kings, a very, very famous sword with a bloodthirster named Uzul trapped within it. The Slayer of Kings is also one of those weapons that likes to just cut through armor like it's not even there. Contrary to popular belief in the way it's uh, presented, though, um, it does not actually burn. It is not a flaming weapon. Uh, many people think it does because whenever he waves it around, it looks like it's on fire, but that's just because it's so evil. I guess it's just what an evil aura looks like in Warhammer Fantasy. He also has the armor of Morkar, which is one of the more superior sets of Chaos armor that's ever been unleashed in the Warhammer Fantasy universe, worn by the first ever chosen, Lord Morkar, Morkar the Uniter. 
uh, it's just really strong armor. <laughs> it's really good at protecting him from dangerous threats. Then he uh, also has his own crown, but just like Cetra's, it does not actually do anything in a combat scenario. And then he has the Eye of Shirian, which slots into a uh, kind of a third eye placement and allows him to see many futures and basically allows him to see attacks coming from all these different futures. And he attempts to dodge them and also gives him uh, his ability to control the winds of magic and makes him very, very good at dodging and looking for opponents' weak spots. And then finally, of course, he is riding his uh, noble, horrifying steed, the steed of the apocalypse, who's not actually a horse, Dorger, who is a demonic steed, and Creative Assembly really needs to fix how tiny that thing is, because in Total War, it's a pony, and in Fantasy, it's supposed to be larger than... It's supposed to be almost Griffin-sized. <laughs> it's supposed to be much larger than it actually is. Um, Dorger is supposed to be a big boy, but he's because he's not actually a horse. He's a terrifying demon that just happens to take the shape of a horse. So, those are uh, what those individuals are going to be bringing into the arena. So, why don't we start uh, with Nathan for today? Nathan, what are your thoughts on this matchup? Uh, between both characters, I don't know. Archeon's a good fighter, but in many campaigns that he's been introduced in lore, he's lost a lot. He has done a lot of damage, but he has lost. Cetra, yeah, a lot of people might see him as not a competent fighter, but actually in lore, he's known to be like, like, well, really, really competent. The fact is, not just like, even if we just reference the end times very briefly, where he wasn't even overpowered or anything, he still manages to decapitate a bloodthirster, no problem. Um, I'd have to say strength-wise and possibly years of experience, despite the fact that Archeon obviously can see a little bit into the future, I'd say Cetra. Just... It is power level coming in with age. Cetra also has good magic, despite the fact that in Warhammer 2, it's kind of shit. In Tabletop, it was pretty decent. I, I'm going to go with my boy Cetra. It's, it's always going to have to be Cetra for this. Okay, so and if, if you had to kind of like pin down your major reasoning like what is it about Cetra that you think puts him above Archeon oh I need to start that poll on my chat but <laughs> yeah uh, issues with YouTube back office trying to actually get it up um so <clears throat> when it comes to Cetra being like well look we've got thousands of years of experience in terms of combat the guy's clearly learned to master as much as possible we know in law as he took over different areas he would learn from the races that he took over from the cultures and so on so obviously this guy is geared to fight whatever comes his way. The Literally, the only reason why he hasn't taken over the world with his armies and so on is because of the age issue, where obviously then he ended up being Tomb Kingified, you know, and it, it's just that. We can tell that he is, and someone's actually spamming his titles in my chat. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I've also seen that, yes. <laughs> there, there, it's just the thing of Cetra just having so so much of a wealth of knowledge in terms of different fighting styles and so on. Archeon, I like him, but he's brute force. And we've known in law that he can't keep his composure. Eventually he'll slip up and he messes up, which is how it happens with a lot of different campaigns where he's been shown off. He'll do loads of damage and then he'll get angry. And it's the typical villain trope that he'll just screw up and then he'll get beaten and cry because that's what he does. <laughs> 
So, and I do think it's worth noting uh, for anyone kind of listening in that's wondering about some of their uh, little attributes that Setra is capable of casting and like dealing with magic. Um, he's he is Setra is what you would call technically a wizard in the sense that he has a very terrible <laughs> casting ability. Um, he's one of those people that would not have gotten invited to Hogwarts. But because he didn't get invited, he got super pissed off and forced himself to learn enough magic to be able to uh, use it. Um, but um, the Brooch of Assyrian does make him literally immune to magic. I mean, even Nagash going all out can't touch Cetra with magic. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, the other thing is that Nathan is right. Cetra does have many, 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 many more years of experience in battle. Than Archeon does, and that Cetra has been around for thousands of years, uh, including the hundreds of years he was alive. And Archeon, even in the best case scenario, with the time wibbly wobbly nonsense of the realm of chaos, has maybe been around for a few centuries. Three um, hundred uh, ish, I think. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think he's been like actually alive for like maybe one or two, but in the realm of chaos, it's been more like four or five or some nonsense, but he definitely has not hit a millennia. Um, end, end Times book classified him as being born shortly after the death of Asavakul. Yeah, so, so yeah, real world, then he's he's a little over 200 years old. But um, the, the other thing, but in defense of Archaon, another thing worth noting is that Cetra has been killed before by Chaos Champions. Uh, there was an extremely lucky Chaos Champion with a giant flaming axe who killed Cetra, which led to the Norskin invasion incident where Cetra proceeded to kill literally everybody. Because <laughs> he was so upset about it. Um, so, Anticity, what are, you, what are your, what are you, I know, like, lore isn't really your purview, but kind of hearing some of the, kind of the, the stage that's being set, what are, you, what are your thoughts? I think one, one important point that I'm wondering, though, is the mounts, right? Because... On one hand, you have a chariot versus a giant horse. I feel like the chariot doesn't do much, but I don't know how good, like how god tier this chariot is. So oh, it is, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a tricky thing. Uh Cetra's chariot is, I believe, the best and most powerful chariot in the Warhammer Fantasy universe. Like it's yeah. it's 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 literally god tier, S tier. Dorger is also, though, literally a beast. However, the Chariot of the Gods is one of the few things that would be able to hurt Dorger very well. I mean, he is a de demonic creature, but the Chariot is literally this giant, blessed steamroller with <laughs> just flaming swords on it that is pulled by undead steeds that cannot be spooked and are just going to keep running forward until they're obliterated. Um, and it is worth noting that it is very intentionally noted that Cetra's aura, his, like, his protective barrier given off by Usirian, does protect his chariot as well as himself. Um, where the same cannot be said for Dorger and the Eye of, uh, Eye of Shirian. Dorger does not get any benefits from, uh, like, Archeon can kind of direct him out of the way, but, you know, when those two slam into each other, um, Dorger's protection kind of almost entirely comes from the fact that he's just a demonic creature, therefore is kind of intangible and difficult to wound. Right, then, then one more question. Which one is faster? Because I feel like Archeon gets an edge purely from being higher up to, to pick and choose his fight, more or less. I would probably say that 
So I would say Cetra is faster in most, and Cetra does have reach because he does have his big old halberd thing. Yeah. But um, the the biggest thing I would say Cetra is I would say Archeon is faster than Cetra, um, but Cetra is tougher than Archeon. Um, being a Tomb King, he doesn't need his organs. <laughs> like it's like as long as his body isn't completely falling apart, he's fine. Um, and he does not rely on magical armor. He relies more on um, like his skill in combat and also his just natural toughness and the, the Bridge of Assyrians kind of barrier protecting him. Whereas Archeon does rely on armor, uh, the armor of Morkar, but the armor of Morkar would offer zero defense against the Blessed Blade of Patra. It literally is so hot, it would just cut right through it. Mm. Um, but, so it, it's kind of tricky. And Archeon, to his credit, Archeon does have a no shit button with the uh, Slayer of Kings. It's how he killed Grimgore, um, yeah. which is that, Archeon can basically give himself the speed and the skill of a bloodthirster. Um, but if he does that, the blade also starts attacking him. So he literally is like hurting himself and potentially stabbing because the blade's trying to kill him as this demon is raging and he's using its power. So it kind of comes down to, do you think if Archeon presses the oh shit button, which he almost certainly would be able to, uh, would he be able to kill Cetra fast enough before it starts to turn against him and then Cetra gets the advantage. The way I see it going down, I don't think, just, just based on the descriptions, I don't think Archeon would take Cetra off his mount, but Cetra could get Archeon off of his. And then, much much like Warhammer multiplayer, it's just cycle charging, just, just slamming into him. And if he triggers his sword or whatever, I, I imagine Cetra can just disengage and keep distance. So that is true. I actually didn't yeah. think about that. Uh, if Cetra actually played it smart <laughs> and realized Archeon's sword was turning on him, he could literally just run, run away. Um, uh, and uh, so that's interesting. So it sounds like we've got two votes for Cetra, essentially, though I, I do think this is a good matchup. And obviously for anyone listening, there are weird things that could happen. Dorger is not a horse. He is a shape-shifting demon that just happens to take the form of a horse. It has been noted that Dorger does have the ability to basically turn some of his body into smoke, which is why he has the Strider rule. It essentially kind of represents him like gliding across the field uh, because he doesn't typically like run in a physical form unless he's trying to run you over. Um, I think for me personally, that's um, a tough one. I I think that... I honestly think I would go on Team Archeon for this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the contrarian on this. Uh, I when I did the poll in my chat, my chat actually voted uh, Archeon came out on top. Um, and the reason I think that Archeon would come on on top is I do think that when the two things would slam into each other, I actually think the Chariots of the Gods would lose. And I think that's because at the end of the day, while it is a blessed and powerful um, thing, Dorger is a literal beast. And would absolutely just obliterate some of those skeletal steeds pulling it, uh, even with its magical aura. And I think it, once the chariot starts to go down, I don't. I think Cetra would kill Dorger very quickly, and it would very, it would turn into an infantry fight. And I think that Archeon, with the Eye of Shirian, uh, in his head and being able to pop Uzul when he absolutely needed it, I honestly think that his 
skill and speed would allow him to overwhelm Cetra because of Cetra's arrogance. I think Cetra would get complacent and like would keep pushing his advantage more and more, especially as Archeon continued to try to use things to beat Cetra that wouldn't work. You know, he's like, oh, I'm going to try and cast fire magic and uh, Cetra's brooch is just like, ah, that's cute. Um, and, uh, who, but who knows, maybe Archeon could sneak through a spell and light his sword on fire, in which case it'd be instant game over for Cetra. Cetra is flammable. If you could stab Cetra with a flaming weapon, that's what we saw happen with that Norskin, um, champion, was that he hit him with a giant fire axe, and that instantly caused Cetra to be incinerated. Um, that being said, I do think that Archeon would come out horribly beat up. Uh, but this is a fun matchup, and I'm really curious to see what uh, people think about it uh, in the comments uh, once this is up on the YouTubes and all the various places. It's a weird one because both of them are good fighters in their own right. Like you said, obviously, Archeon has a lot of benefits because he's got literal plot armor, uh, like with every single blessed weapon he has and so on. But I don't know, man. I'm going to have to keep with Cetra because, yeah, he got killed off by some random Norskin, like you said. Uh, we have to take into account that this happens a lot, but Cetra keeps coming back because unless he gets fully destroyed, he's going to keep coming back. True. Um, so, and he's kind of like that spiteful asshole type of sense. So, yeah, you might beat him once, but uh, like what happened with the, with the uh, Warlord, I'll go back and get you type of thing. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and I will say for Archeon, uh, trying to remove his plot armor can be tricky, but he does he does have a lot of really powerful assets. I mean, having all oh, four yeah. marks of the Dark Gods is nothing to sneeze at. Mm -hmm. uh, he does have also the best lore you can take against Cetra. Granted, getting off magic against Cetra is nearly impossible. Um, but, uh, and in, in, in a lot of ways, they kind of almost have a funny one tick for tack system going. We're like, oh, uh, you know, Ar uh, Cetra can blind Archeon using the Blessed Blade of Petra to kind of throw him off because it's literally like staring into the sun. But on the other hand, Archeon has the Mark of Nurgle, which so he's surrounded by flies and all this other nasty stuff that makes him hard to look at. Cetra's got this amazing brooch that gives him this aura that almost nothing can penetrate. Archeon's got one of the most powerful things to avoid damage in his forehead. Both of their swords cut through armor like it's not even there. They both have S-tier mounts. <laughs> They're yeah. both super strong. They're both super fast. Um, they uh, they are... Uh, I think they're very evenly matched. Um, uh, um, granted, uh, I do wish in Total War so much that the Chariot of the Gods was more like it's supposed to be. Uh, stupid War Sphinx. I hate that thing so much. <laughs> Cetra on a War Sphinx triggers me worse than him being on a horse. And him being on a horse is so not okay <laughs> from a lore perspective. Um, it's, a, it's a weird thing. I, I don't like monstrous mounts myself, so I, I just like go for the chariot mostly. Oh yeah, but let's let's quickly change topic before we get off on a huge, 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 huge rant. So um, the next thing we have is actually a pretty brief little uh, showcase, which is that, um, so I, I saw this in my Discord community, and I, I don't know how recent this is, but it just came up in my community, um, is that uh, some people in the community uh, discovered the uh, art stations of some of the people who have been working on Warhammer 3 art. So uh, I will have these 
links posted in relevant places, like in the uh, when this goes live on YouTube, on in the YouTube description and such, as well as uh, you can find it in our discords. But uh, we have um, the lovely woman, um, uh, Miss Minkova. I would try and pronounce her first name, but I butcher it. I don't want to do that. Um, who did some absolutely amazing concept art for Katarin, which shows off a, just a ton of details for Katarin, like all of the rings on her fingers, her hat, her necklaces, her cape, just and it's it's just beautiful and amazing to look at. Uh, and she also has some art up of the various types of ice witches. Um, and then we also, uh, unfortunately, he uh, no longer works for CA. But we have some renders from on Danny Sweeney's page where we have these really nice up close and in depth shots of Kostaltin, um, the the second legendary lord for uh, Kislev. So I'm, I'm going to have these in relevant places just so people can kind of check them out. They're really awesome to look at. They're beautiful models, and you can uh, kind of familiarize yourselves with the creators. It's not unusual for uh, uh, for creators like this to actually uh occasionally like open commissions and stuff in addition to the regular work they do so it's a it's a good uh art station is a great place to find these creators uh and to follow their work uh whether you could see their work in future games uh maybe even catch hints of things that have not necessarily been revealed uh fun fact for anyone that's a total warhammer fan the way we found out about the bone giant uh for the tomb kings is actually because of art station not because of creative assembly. Um, uh, one of the one of the artists posted their work, their concept art of the Bone Giant, which uh, I believe was not actually intended to release, and then it got so much traction because everybody wanted it um, that they ended up uh, tossing it into the Skulls for the Skull Throne event, um, and we got it, which was awesome. So if you're if you're just looking for a way to scratch that War Total War Warhammer Three itch, I'd really recommend checking those out. Uh, because there's just some absolutely beautiful art. And then, uh, our one of our big topics for today, and something where Nathan's going to be taking the reins for a good bit, is that today we want to talk a good bit about Araby. Uh, we want to talk about its background, we want to talk about its units, we want to talk about um, why it's important, and something that we will be speaking about often as kind of something we're pushing for in the future. But uh, Nathan, why don't you kind of uh, take us away? Well, sorry, I was looking at the um, concept art. Uh, there's just some things there that I that just kind of blew my mind because I I didn't look at some of them, but just some other stuff was just absolutely amazing. Like that um, initial sketch provided by Games Workshop thing on on Catherine herself. That was that was very very cool. But sorry, uh, let's go on to Araby as of course this is something that I talk about every now and then on the channel. And people get very pissed off because I keep talking about freaking Araby, but I'm going to keep <laughs> talking about Araby until we eventually get it in some way, shape, or form. Or I just no, there's no or. <laughs> there, there is. This is this is a hostage situation, not a negotiation. <laughs> so Araby, one of funny enough, in the more or less time free emperors and so on, one of the most important factions in terms of law which constantly gets brushed off aside. It's always been a hot topic when it comes to Creative Assembly and Games Workshop and stuff like that. I mean, there was a little bit of a drama when it came to the uh, Total War Discord once where they said that they might just ban the word Araby, but that was kind of swept aside after a while. 
the issue when that happens is because people get misconceptions about the country. And this happens if you go on to stuff like the Wikipedia, which is fan source, and people put some stuff there which isn't law. And a lot of people will get the wrong impression of perhaps one of the most interesting human nations, in my opinion, at the very least, in the whole Warhammer Fantasy universe. It's something which I'm very passionate about because, you know, we, we talk about them a lot. And if it's the other case that we do get, for example, as you can see, Sotik and I have the books out, Dogs of War, it's very likely that we will see some Araby stuff included because while I would like them to be their own separate thing, and I'm sure a lot of people would too, we're going to find them here if we ever get a Dogs of War because it's a Dogs of War army. It's a Dogs of War faction. Now, let's start off with, shall we go on to the, what we see onto the Dogs of War stuff? Or do you want to go for some background lore or? Uh, uh, that's up to you. Where, where, where would you like to start? Um, well, let's, let's go for a little bit of background. Obviously, Araby itself, like the rest of the Warhammer Fantasy universe, spoilers in case you haven't noticed it by now in the 30 odd years that the series has existed, it's based on a lot of our real world history. Araby itself has a lot of influence when it comes from uh, olden, um, older Arabic and Muslim law and stuff like that, you know, uh, mythology from that system, even some old history, uh, a lot of fantasy elements too, like, uh, the, you know, Arabian Nights. It's, this, this has always been the case for Warhammer Fantasy. If you haven't noticed that, the, the early Warhammer Fantasy developers were big nerds and a lot of them weren't very original, but they brought it into a way that made one fantasy a lot more special so if you're looking towards um if you're looking towards arabian in terms of a aesthetic you're looking at you know uh the 40 thieves uh you're looking at uh the moors you're looking at uh, a little bit of persian too it really depends on what part of the law and what year that law was released so what we have in um in the law itself not so much in this type of the timeline. It's more because obviously Araby at that point had been kind of functionally destroyed, but it's focused around a sultanate. So there's sultans around different areas. There's a grand sultan too at one point. Uh, you've got all the deserts. You've got all the typical stuff where obviously cities and towns are built closer to the ocean or closer to oasis and so on, where there are two kind of different cultures You've got the typical, you know, Sultan, Arabs uh, in that sense, building up with really big uh, castles and so on, uh, lots of heavily defended walls. And you've also got nomads too, but the nomads themselves weren't really seen too much in law in the later years, as that was later then pushed towards a type of human that lived throughout the areas of the Tomb Kings instead. So it is a, um, what happened in the law is and this is what a lot of people get wrong uh, a lot of people think that araby itself was seen as a evil human nation where functionally we've really not had a evil human faction barring say chaos because i wouldn't even call the norskins evil whatsoever it's just warhammer to war kind of does not represent norska as it should be in in my honest opinion so they, they are heavily simplified <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, to every... make it easy heavily 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 and it's one of those things where uh, a lot of people don't um they, they see them as 
it's, it's really tough to say this in, in a sense, but a lot of people put really bad stereotypes where a lot of people see them as, oh yeah, they're slavers, they're this, they're that. It's like, no, that's not the case. In fact, Araby was mostly known through trade. They were some of the most proficient traders in what would be considered the old world. Sure, they're a bit off, but uh, it's close enough to the old world to be considered old world. They were known for being able to deal with the heat very well. They fought a lot against the Tomb Kings uh, because obviously Cetra and a lot of other Tomb Kings wanted to enslave them. The problem why a lot of people see them as an evil faction is because there was a sultan known as Jafar. Yes, it's a stupid name, but we'll move past that. And he was well, a tyrant. Which is very obviously inspired by a certain <laughs> character. <Yeah. laughs> so what happened there is he took over. And when a tyrant takes over, that will make people think of a different race as oh, you know, these people are obviously evil. But no, this man was the reason why Araby moved in to attack uh, Talia Estalia, even moving in a little bit into uh, Bretonia too. And it took a combined force of Talia Estalia, the border princes, the empire, and Bretonia, a little bit of a breath there, to actually beat back Araby. And the idea was the Crusades were not to destroy Araby, but to liberate Araby. Yeah, Kind of to, to slide in with with a couple of uh, also notes is that um, Araby, uh, like Nathan said, um, isn't just like there are a lot of uh, aspects of Warhammer Fantasy that, <laughs> as we've gotten on in years, um, have are like very simplified or very um, flanderized. I think is a good word for it. But Araby wasn't really one of them um, back in the day of that you know Araby had these different subcultures and there there was a time in their history when you could think of them as i guess more villainous where like Araby kind of uh when it first popped up on the global from a lore perspective when it popped up on the global stage was as the corsairs of Araby which were functionally pirates and the pirates do still exist the arabian pirates are 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 a faction but they are not part of the the country of Araby they're kind of this almost um they're kind of like what the sartosans almost are to talea yeah. where they're very close to one another and to the fact that you could kind of identify them as the same culture but there is a significant difference between the two of them your arabian corsairs are your slavers um the uh the arabians themselves where you're dealing with your emirs and your sheiks uh and your sultans are um much more designed to deal with the rest of the world they are hardcore traders. Uh, they have a lot of um, sorcerers and people that specialize in rare and exotic magics. They're really, really big on launching expeditions, and they're brave almost to the point of probably stupidity when it, when it comes to messing with the Lizardmen and the Tomb Kings. But um, the the one of the things that is super important to note, just like Nathan said, is that evil Araby only existed under the Sultan Jafar. And the mm -hmm. whole thing with Jafar is that there's a lot of really big notes that the reason Araby was loyal, or the, the reason Jafar had so much power is because Jafar completely changed the game. He was the equivalent of someone showing up, like, if you have all these people fighting with arrows and stone axes, he was the equivalent of someone showing up with a gun. Because he's the guy who brought out, he's the guy who first showed up able to wield genies. He was the guy who tamed the demons of the desert, 
whatever they may be, whether they were elementals or actual demons, he figured that out because he made deals with Zinch. He made deals with the Skaven. He was, he was willing to do anything to acquire power and he was cruel. So he comes wandering in. And the thing about Araby is that they're very, very deeply tied to oaths of loyalty that you have this culture that completely so deeply revolves around the idea of loyalty that when the even the Arabian Corsairs, who are pirates, are so much of loyalists that the whole problem with them and Talea, because we get the, much of the perspective due to the Dogs of War, which is a Talean-focused narrative, the Taleans found the Arabian Corsairs to be really annoying because, like, when it came to Sartosan pirates or Norskan pirates, they could bribe them. The Talaeans could, like, get them to stop attacking us by hiring them as mercenaries. They couldn't do that with the Arabians. Whenever they would try to capture the Arabians or, like, hire them or something, they would refuse and be insulted by it because to them, loyalty is what mattered and their loyalty was to the Pirate Kings. Once the Pirate Kings were defeated and captured, uh, once they were finally shut down and Jafar took over, Everyone's loyalty was tied back to Jafar. Jafar played the system, so everyone had to serve him. Until, like Nathan said, all of the old world teamed up, basically, and we got the Crusades, which were insane and brutally fought. And it's worth noting that the Crusades almost lost a number of times. Uh, yeah. I mean, Talea was barely saved by a freak accident that killed... Uh, Jafar's uh, top general. Um, uh, I think his name was Amir the Cruel or something like that. Uh, yeah. But like he literally the like he literally cornered um, the uh, the knights of uh, the knights of the blazing sun. He cornered them and all the resistance that was left in the capital and was going to kill them. And a statue of Mermidia breaks and falls and kills him. <laughs> the statue falls over, crushes the general and his men. And that freak accident causes the uh, Arabians to panic and the knights are able to chase them off. And that's why the Knights of the Blazing Sun worship Mermidia is because a statue of her literally saved their asses. Yeah. Um, which, you know, as far as divine intervention goes, that's a pretty that's a pretty obvious one. <laughs> so I can understand why they did that. It's also really important to note that the people of Araby did not want to live under Jafar. They knew they were getting oppressed. Because as the Crusades moved into Araby and the cities, uh, city-states were liberated, a lot of Arabians then joined up with the Crusaders. Yes. Because they, they just wanted their territories back. Yeah, Jafar was almost arguably defeated and killed more because of rebellions than he was by the actual Crusades. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, he was abandoned at the last second by his chaotic allies, which, you know, Skaven. <laughs> It's <laughs> Kevin and Zinch, the most dependable friends. Um, but yeah, I love that. But and and that I yeah, I, I think it's a really important thing to focus there is that they're not evil. Um and, and the idea of that is uh just ridiculous. Um the only the only evil humans are just flat out warriors of chaos. And even then there's a surprising amount of nuance about why people become warriors of chaos. Um, exactly. You know, we gotta simplify it for video games where like you just got a faction and you just want to slap soldiers together. But um, as far as like, Araby is not a offensive portrayal. <laughs> it is a it is a surprisingly nuanced faction. Uh, which wh why don't you why don't you uh, if you're ready to? Uh, and let, I mean, if you got more notes, feel free. 
But uh, when yeah. you're ready to um, take us into talking about like what kind of awesome stuff they bring to the table, uh, let me know. Yeah, I if mean, you got any well, other notes, go ahead. It is important to note that um, if you guys are reading stuff like the wiki and so on, keep in mind that the wiki can be wrong. Just like myself and Lawmaster Sota can be wrong with certain things, because obviously there's like 30 what? years of law. <laughs> but, like, yeah, when no, we when right. we go out of our way to tell you, when we go out of our way to tell you that no, it's not like a certain thing is being described because there's a lot of people who come up with this stupid idea that, oh yeah, Arabi suicide bombers and stuff. No, just keep that shit out of it. Listen, because that's what hurts the faction. If we want to see it as a playable faction in the future, go with official sources of law. <clears throat> go with official sources of law because it's important to keep with the official stuff and not some weird fan-made stuff or, or stuff like that because believe me, it does more damage than good. Like, I want to see this faction playable. It's something, I, I've got a few uh, War Master minis of Araby. I love the lore of Araby. I've always wanted to see it as a proper playable faction. Just make sure you go with the proper sources rather than make it... Some, I get it. Some people want their silly jokes. But some of the silly jokes do more harm than good. And I'm just making a really important note about that because we want to see more factions playable and so on. And let's just keep the false information out of this important yeah so uh, and, and speak so speaking of exciting things that they could bring um nathan what what are some things off the top of your head that you think would like what what is it about araby that makes it stand out so much to you as like we need these guys okay so uh araby had an army list actually way back in the day uh through Warmaster, uh, <clears throat> a long dead series but uh it was basically warhammer but without paying loads of money because everything was kind of scrunched up and made really small and very difficult to paint so <laughs> um you're gonna get something if you've played like historical total wars in the past uh if you look towards like the stuff like uh you just think about heavy cav and so on but it adds with more so you've got a lot of swordsmen you've got a lot of bowmen that's expected because obviously it's a middle age inspired faction you've got armored elephants uh some standard elephants we're going for the historical stuff first Camel riders were also in the law. The idea of horses were also quite popular, where a lot of the law actually states that they could even rival elven horses in terms of speed. Yeah, so, yeah, Arabian stallions were super badass. Exactly, and that would be really, really cool. Then when we go to a more magical point of view, yes, a lot of stuff here comes a little bit stereotypical and so on, you know, flying magic carpets, um gins, which are genies, but the, the law was always kind of weird because they... Like Sotek mentioned uh, about 10 minutes ago, you said it's like, oh, it could be elemental, they could be demon. It's always been a bit like we were never 100% too sure of what they actually were. Like a common theory by the fan base is that they're actually bound demons, which this is something that Sultan Jafar ended up being able to do. So there's loads of different stuff here. They, the army list itself didn't have a lot, but we more or less get that the Skaven learnt Jezails from the Arabians themselves, which uh, there was a model which was really, really cool of a, uh, I think it was a sheik, and he had a Jezail whilst he was mounted on a camel, which gave him decent movement, but uh, he wanted the long range, so that means he was kind of like a skirmisher. I don't know how you can skirmish with a freaking sniper, but yeah, yeah, you know. I, I actually, I actually found the the found the model. Yeah, there are there are camel riders uh, characters that have long long barreled guns. 
Mm. Which is, uh, can I just say, Camel Camel Riders with Guns sounds like awesome, like, give me ranged heavy cav. That's a that's a yeah. rare thing <laughs> with gunpowder. I mean, uh, the one thing that um, I've always loved about the army, it was it's just so different. Oh, it yeah, wasn't... all the Camel Riders have guns. Like, I'm looking at their minis. They all have, they all have uh, pistols. Yeah, yeah, they had, because uh, those were their skirmishers. So they, these were like the... Uh... The pistoliers of Araby, which was kind of cool, and they they just had like loads of different like versatility. Obviously, like monstrous heavy cavalry with elephants and so on, which they wouldn't be as big as the chaos mammoths, but you'd get them in like groups of three, I believe the minis were. Yeah, well, yeah, they were actual monstrous cav based on actual mm. elephants, as opposed to the chaos mammoths, which are gigantic monsters yeah. with a billion health. So the idea of the army was, it was kind of focused around skirmishing warfare, uh, which was super, super cool. You'd have so much mobility with obviously with the camels, with the horses that could move really fast. And obviously with flying cavalry with the, um, with the magic carpets being able to go around, especially if you had a spellcaster riding one, because that way you could get around and do some damage. Then you had a pretty decent frontline infantry. Um, like you had some strong swordsmen uh, with uh, sword and board, you know able to go up front and hold out whilst you would go around. Think of this in a very similar sense to kind of like, say, Britonia, but more focused on the ground. And obviously with gunpowder. Yeah, I, I would say that Araby is probably most comparable to Britonia. But yeah, mm. they, they were much less cav focused. And what cav they did have was much lighter, um, mm. but faster. So like they didn't have heavy cav. They had, well, their elephants were heavy calf, but, yeah. uh, you know, that's monstrous calf. But their big thing was um, a lot of things in their army were very fast. They did not have a lot of heavily armored troops. Mm -hmm. um, mostly things were light armor. But so kind of like how Kislev in Total War Warhammer 3 has like a lot of heavily armored troops, but like they have a lot of like range melee units. Um, Araby was more about speed and lighter armor, but also had a lot of that synergy where a lot of units had bows, a lot of units. So there were a lot of bows. There were a lot of pistols. There were a lot of um, long barreled, like hand, or like sniper focused handguns. Um, and uh, I will say when it comes to genies, I have a solution to the genie thing. And I've been telling people this because I'm, I, I, me and Nathan agree on a lot of things, but when it comes to Araby, I'm someone that likes Araby more as being a part of the Southern Realms, um, just because I don't think you could make four legendary lords and a full Vampire Coast-sized DLC for Araby. I, I, like, I, I think you could do it, but the time for that is past. Um, I do think they could make up a quarter of a really badass Dogs of War faction, or Southern Realms. But for the monster for that faction, like you have your elephants for your monstrous infantry, but this here are your genies, right? If you go into the monstrous arcanum, there are these things called the incarnate elementals. And there are these giant spirits that are literally the embodiments of the lores of magic. So you've got like the fire elemental, which is this giant, uh, I, showed, I showed him on stream here a second ago. But, uh, like, he's this giant guy with a flaming spear covered in robes and armor and stuff. You've got the Elemental Incarnate of Beasts, which is a giant, like, almost Wendigo antlered band creature that's super pissed off and has an amber heart and is super badass. And then uh, the other one that we have art for is the Incarnate of 
death, which is this also super badass twin-headed serpent that is like an Ouroboros, and it's connected by a hourglass to represent death, which to me, these would be perfect monsters um, to represent Araby. And that, like, they're literally harnessing the winds into physical forms to fight for them as elemental genies. I think that would just be a chef's kiss match. It's not bad, honestly. It's not bad at all. Any other notes? Uh, right, well, we can go from the... Let me just check over here. Well, um, what a lot of people don't seem to realize is, other than the fact that the Warmaster thing, which was, what, 98? Or something like that. It's quite a far, far time back. Araby still is canon, which is important, obviously. We do know that Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay keeps adding in some more lore, and that is actually tapped in by Creative Assembly sometimes when they want to create stuff for Total War Warhammer. Uh, someone did tell me that I believe it was a few books that came out recently heavily fleshed upon the lore of Araby by even adding in a dice game or something like that. Which is interesting because I haven't actually checked that out yet. Yeah, but... Araby, uh, Araby, much like Cathay, and a lot, of, a lot of just the outer places in the old world has been getting tapped a lot in the Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Fourth Edition. Mm. So that means that there is loads of potential of it because there's a lot of people who goes like, "Oh yeah, it's no canon anymore." It's like, no, it's still getting some work somewhere. It's still canon. Like, even Age of Sigmar references Araby when Gotrex is in some, some place. I can't remember what book it was, or was it one of the audiobooks? And he says it, it's hotter there than it was in the deserts of Araby. It's like, that's important. If it's still getting mentioned in Age of Sigmar, it's still canon. It's very important for that. So, but, uh, Intensity, I'm actually going <laughs> to call you out here because I'm curious for your thought on something. So based on kind of all the various niches that many of the factions fill and how a lot of them play and stuff like that, kind of hearing us talk about Araby and stuff, um, do you think there's any particular niche that is not filled well by like, particularly a human faction, that sounds like they might be interesting to tap into or any ideas that you think like what you're hearing as far as like the description and kind of how they worked on tabletop? Is there anything that kind of stands out to you on like what might be a really cool idea and how they could really add some spice to the game? Yeah, uh, so actually, uh, I played a, a mod like a while back where they did have Araby. Oh, yeah, so, we have to talk about that. <laughs> but oh, yeah, fin finish your point, but then we got to talk about that. Yeah, but uh, it, so from, from the mod and based on your descriptions, which very much aligns with how the mod uh, sort of had all the units except for the visuals on the genies the genies look way cooler in the art because full production budgets but um the, it played very differently from like everything uh so it of course like there were a lot of like sort of elvish sort of feels in terms of how they can kite and their mobility and such but the the gunpowder mixed in really it just I'm not sure, like, the mix of the gunpowder, the sort of the focus on magic was, like, really unique. How there were, like, all these, like, cool spellcasters and extra abilities and such. So, like, uh, yeah, like, it's definitely different from a lot of the human factions. But it feels very different from a lot of all the factions. So, like, yeah, just, just the mix of, of all the elements. 
um it yeah just in in terms of the mobility though i think they would be closest to elves yeah except uh yeah with with the slight differences in in all those areas yeah that and that would kind of seem like it makes sense like maybe maybe kind of being sort of like high elves but a little more specialized in kiting uh with like um uh i almost said more magical focus but with high elves that's a ridiculous statement uh, <laughs> but with a with a more like imp uh ground based faction so like where high elves bring a lot of that flying capabilities and a lot of flying monsters and stuff Araby would have those land-based elementals uh so like land-based monsters and you know everything's kind of on ground and stuff but of course gunpowder gun is always the great equalizer <laughs> you're like ah yeah it's armor piercing um something that elves notably lack when it comes to range capabilities unless they're bolt throwers mm -hmm. uh so speaking of that mod uh i i believe it's probably the mod nathan if you're ready to hop into it is going to be talking I, about i absolutely like fucking love ovn lost factions uh i think i've done a video series on it like highlighting every different faction and so on there's like 20 different videos um the uh, shaky and the rest of his team do an absolute massive work filling in the warhammer fantasy world with racism factions and it is just huge not only for araby but for albion and like the amazons with certain things and it is just a massive mod it is one of if not the best overhaul like it's not even an overhaul mod it just it's a faction mod, but it's it adds in so many different factions. Ovian Lost Factions is just like look, let's let's put it this way. When it comes to the fact that like, obviously we play a lot of Total War Warhammer. The three of us here have what thousands of hours at this point. And we keep I, I try playing. not to think about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna yeah. die one day. I'm trying not to think about it, okay? <laughs> when it comes to that, especially like, say for example, um when we get like early access and stuff like that, you know, we 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 um we put a lot of hours into say the Beastman and then the Lizardman and stuff like that. We've played all the vanilla stuff to death, like by that point. So like when it comes to something, I need something fresh. I need something new because everything already by the time it comes out is we've already played it so long and you know you've got your speedrunner here. You know, uh, we, you and myself all work around the lore about what's going on here, so we can have informatic videos for that. Then OVN comes into effect with all that just to bring in some new flavor, and it is done so well. They go into such deep lore just to make sure that everything's there. Of course, some creative uh, inspiration comes into effect because, you know, there's no artwork for like 99% of Warhammer Fantasy in general. So they have to take some creative um, interpretation of stuff. But it's done really, really well, man. Like, uh, I've recently been playing an Albion campaign. It's just so good. It is honestly so damn good. And the only, like, the only thing that kind of ties it against is that you can't really do the custom voice acting and stuff like that. But other than that, like, the quality of some of the models is just freaking stunning. Um, you know, kind of funny, this is a complete side note, but it's, it's worth mentioning, is that there actually is a mod, um, I need to show you sometime soon, that has figured out how to put voice acting in the game. Um, so maybe that's something they could look into adding with OVN uh, to really spice it up. If they could Are you get, talking like, about the overhaul game thing? Um, 
the uh, one that changes the game into yes, Monster Chaos. Yes, actually, yeah, I saw it on your channel. <laughs> I was thinking about it. Yeah, it's it's just a video thing. It's not uh, for voice acting. It's just implementing a video on a uh, kind of like Medieval Two used to have when you used to send agents. Ah, I see. I see. Okay, well. it's still really revolutionary. Oh yeah, it's like, so great. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, and I, I'll be sure to have links to that. Uh, I'll be sure to uh, have Nathan give us uh, a shareable link for that uh, to be included on the video and stuff. But uh, so yes, definitely check out OVN. It, it, was that the mod you were playing in Ticity, Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Uh, there was like a, a tournament on it. It was actually fairly well balanced, despite it being just completely fan made. Yeah, uh, I believe the uh, I forget what the creator's name is, but he he puts in a just horrific amount of time <laughs> on that on that mod. Um, uh, yeah, so, some of the modders do really work uh, incredibly hard to really keep the game spicy for multiplayer without just like completely blowing it out of the water. Uh, Cause that I'm sure that is very tempting. You know, whenever you add something to the game, just be like, ah, oh, I like this thing. So I'm going to make it <laughs> just like absolutely ridiculous. Well, th there is that. Uh, I think Jafar has it where you can, it's the bounce spell with the snake. Cause that one was just absolutely ridiculous. But I think that's been balanced since I last showcased that. Cause I think it took out like 500 entities in one go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, anything else uh, about for and or for Araby? Right. Well, we could look at some of the units that we've got here because like you said, and to be honest, I agree with you as much as I don't want to agree with you. Uh, if they get added in, it's likely going to be with Dogs of War because what people don't know is they featured heavily in the Dogs of War work. And, you know, we got the pace, the Paymaster. There was also Legendary Lord, which was... Uh, was it Midas the meme? Uh, yes. Um, yes, it was Midas, because, you know, but it's King Midas. Yeah. Games Workshop so, didn't try very hard <laughs> back, oh, back, I, in, I back in 6th edition. They were just like, hey, what's that famous guy called? Jafar? <laughs> yeah, let's use that. <laughs> yeah. No, no. But, surely Disney will never be in a position to get us in trouble with this. <laughs> but yeah there's actually quite a lot of stuff when it comes to araby going into the law adding some units and so on one of uh my favorites is obviously the desert dogs because they actually were one of the best casts that were released around the sixth edition timeline you know that was a uh, obviously uh it was an, a bit difficult because they were white horses but and gw's white paint at the time actually was kind of like enamel but uh, other than that, you know, there was actually quite a lot of stuff here. The idea was to add in a little bit, which the Paymasters filled in the role for that. It's insane how much stuff they did get. And it does make sense to add it in because, say, for example, if we do get um, a Dogs of War pack, we could get four Legendary Lords. One Tillian, one Estallion, one Border Prince, and one... Uh, uh, Arabian? Yep. I guess that's... Or Arabian. 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 The, the thing is, uh, what kind of sucks about that, which is why I don't want them to be parts of Dogs of War, who'd you pick? There are just, just so many characters, you know? Yeah, that's, that, is, that is a super tricky thing. I mean, uh, but I, I would hope that we'd get to see like some really flavorful like legendary lore, or legendary heroes and stuff pop up. And that would definitely be a faction that you could add free LCs to that everyone would just be super happy to get more characters. Um, oh, yeah, I mean they'd probably go with like Marco Colombo because like he had like 12 bridges. Uh, I, Marco Colombo is, is he a Stallion or Talayan? He's a Stallion, uh, right? 
Estalia, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I think he is. I mean, he he could be all right for Estalia. I, I think people would shoot us if we didn't say Borgio the Besieger for Talea. <laughs> but um, yeah, Araby would be interesting because I mean they could go with Midas, but I I would much rather have some kind of uh, Sultan sorcerer. Um, like if you're gonna have a magic character, it's gotta be the Arabian, you know. Um, on like with like a flying carpet as his like equivalent to a, a Pegasus mount, he does a flying carpet, and then maybe he upgrades to like a big war elephant or something as his big mount. But uh, that yeah. I, for me, it's like you got you gotta this the magic character has to be the Arabian. Come on, yeah, <laughs> come on. Um, Unless they go for something like really out there, but most of them, like you said. Uh... Like in Estalia to the border princes, they're mostly just fighters, aren't they? Like Lorenzo Lupo and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the only thing I could see for the border princes where they could go, if they wanted to go really out there, is they could do uh, Gashnag, the Ooh. the vampire. <laughs> the he's literally the beast from Beauty and the Beast. That's his entire mm -hmm. gimmick, is that he's this hideous Strigoi that's a giant monster, but he's actually super nice for some reason, despite the fact most Strigoi are insane. And he literally pays like troubadours and poets to sing songs about how handsome he is and that he's looking for a wife. <laughs> That's his whole gimmick. But he actually like protects his village and he's like super or his uh, his uh, princedom. And he's actually yeah. like super vigilant about like protecting them from bandits. And like he kills an entire ogre tribe by himself to protect them. Like dude's a badass and he's super nice. Um but uh, yeah, and uh, uh, which would, but that would be that would be such a wild pick. Like have a reverse Aranessa, <laughs> which could it could be fun. Um, uh, even though Aranessa is kind of the redheaded stepchild of the Vampire Coast. Yeah, I mean, uh, as long as like it's not just shoehorning uh, Jafar just for magic, because if that's the case, then I'd love to see like you know like Al, -Al Mukta as a legendary hero, because that would be freaking awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. Or, or, or if they ever did bring in the dogs of war as a playable race, I would genuinely be shocked if their regiments of renown were not like the actual badass mercenary regiments. So instead of just having the generic ones where it's like, oh, it's a regular unit, but with a different skin or something, it's like, oh no, here's like Asenera the dragon lord. Here's like, uh, the desert dogs. Here's like all these super famous uh, mercenary regiments as your regiments for now just just to really spice it up for them i think that could be super fun i like that i really do but um but yeah i i i do think that the dogs of war slash southern realms it has incredible potential absolutely incredible potential and ca would be damn fools not to uh tap it the problem is like um isn't it like too late in a sense, because uh, this, this is what I'm thinking of, right? And I, it's going to sound stupid, but this is what's been running through my head a lot. The race itself is based on the old world. Of course, the Araby ones are based in, the, uh, in Warhammer 2. If we move on to, say, Warhammer 3, because it's likely, you know, the pre-order incentive is likely going to be freaking Ogre Kingdoms. I mean, that's why we got the freaking uh, mercenaries. I mean, the, the, yeah, the, and plus they made a food pun. Like, when they make puns, it's, it's over. <laughs> we, yeah. It's all Ogre now. So, like, Warhammer 3 is based on the East. You know, you've got Cafe, uh, you know, we've got uh, the Chaos Holds to the North and stuff like that. Isn't it a bit too late? 
I don't think so. Um, I, I think where there's a will, there's a way. And also beggars can't be choosers, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> but I, I don't see a reason why it couldn't be that they're the dogs of war. If there's some opportunity where there's a god that's dying, you know, which we know is vaguely the plot of Warhammer 3, and these mercenary badasses see a chance for them to seize power and stop being minor nations in the world and become godlike in their own right, they would absolutely seize on that. These guys yeah. would invade the realm of chaos in a heartbeat because they're stupid and greedy, and that's why we love them. <laughs> it's just like, how would you would you need all three games to be able to get this DLC? I, I the way I would probably do it is kind of like just think about how they've kind of implemented the Warhammer two characters or uh, the Warhammer one characters in Warhammer two, right? Where they just kind of show up <laughs> places. Like, does it make literally any sense for Thoric Ironbrow to be in Lestria? No. But he is. <laughs> like, but there's there's no reason he should be there. But he is. And everyone just kind of was like, all right. I, I think they would literally just do the same thing. Of, like, just pick some dots in the world and have those characters show up there. And then when That's you play on Mortal Empires, they're where they're supposed to be. It's doable. Um... The, the thing is, obviously, like, there was that interview at the very big announcement of, of Warhammer 3 that they said that the uh, the campaign map was going to be around two times the size of uh, the... Uh, this is just the standard campaign, not the Mega Mortal Empires. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about two times the size of the Eye of the Vortex, and obviously there's a bit more land when it comes into that because most of the Eye of the Vortex campaign is uh, ocean. Yeah. Uh, what I'm scared of is another Lustria ball, you know, for Warhammer 3. Uh, because I, I don't want to look at, like, say, for example, Koresh or Cathay and stuff like that, and it's just every legendary lord has been slapped in there, and it's just like just for the sake of adding stuff, and it's just it, it's impossible to move around without just getting into this massive mosh pit of everyone just absolutely attacking each other. Well, I, I think at the end of the day, um, the, the biggest thing is we, we can't worry about something we just don't even have information on, right? Like, we don't know what the map looks like, we don't know how big it is. We yeah. don't know. We don't know anything. Um, so I, I think the most important thing we can do right now is to to push for things we care about with the information we have. So yeah. uh, keep you know keep 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 fighting that uh, that uh, southern realms fight. <laughs> keep, uh, and uh, you know we'll worry about the we'll worry about the complicated crap <laughs> when, when, when we're a little when we're actually putting up a fight. Mm. No, I just, uh, I panic a lot. It's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's, hey, you know what? It keeps you safe, right? <laughs> I, it's just like, you, you get these questions like, oh, why? When Forek was announced, I had a lot of people asking me, it's like, oh, why is Forek in, in Austria? It's like, I have to fucking know, man. Because he is. <laughs> that's, that's the only, that's, that's it. That's the only answer you get. Because like, he's well, there. <laughs> Why is Gorst a fig, right? It's like, uh, it's just one of those figs that are. Uh, Alright. For for me, not knowing any lore, I was just like, oh yeah, there's dwarves in, in Lastria. I guess Thorek is just a dwarf that, that's around there. And I, like, there you go. <laughs> I didn't know it all. See, that it just well. doesn't matter. For people who aren't too well-versed with the lore, that works well, because you get a lot more fun factor out of it, don't you? Like when it comes from a law perspective, which I shouldn't look at it that way because so much has already changed law wise when it comes to Total War Warhammer. 
like sometimes I just get annoyed. It's like, oh, oh, why is this guy here? He should be dead. Or, you know, Rapunz, what? she's like been dead for 500 years. But I know I shouldn't look at it that way because I end up enjoying it. I think Forex campaign is actually really, really fun too. Just having something different and especially when um, you get something that you didn't really expect because I was going to say expecting like, I was still hoping for Boris, but I, I'm, I'm kind of tired of the Empire anyway, so I probably wouldn't have played him. Oh, I'm I'm sure the toddy's coming at some point. They're just they're just waiting for when things get really desperate. <laughs> Their yeah. backs against the wall. <laughs> they're just like, ah, oh, here, there's. Uh, I'm I'm still waiting for the damn Red Duke. Come on, CA, give, give us that That's Red Duke. Same. I really like his lore. His book is actually really good. Yes, great book. Um, all right. Uh, anything else? Or are you good? I think we're good. Okay. Uh, so real quick, uh, before we get on to any other subjects, uh, we do have a brief announcement. Uh, which is uh, that we were reached out to by the uh, developers of Warhammer Online, Return of Reckoning, which is, of course, the fan-made private server, which anybody can join, anybody can play. Um, I'm actually going to be uh, starting tomorrow, going back to playing that every Monday uh, to run dungeons and stuff. But it is the Warhammer Fantasy MMO. It is a ton of fun. And I we cannot tell y'all the specifics of it, uh, because most of it's still under wraps. But on the 18th of September which is this Saturday, um, they are hosting a massive event. Um, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, so I'll just be vague in that uh, on September the 18th, if uh, you should, uh, I would highly recommend to be following the uh, Warhammer Online Return of Reckoning uh, Twitch account because they're gonna be doing an amazing interview um, the guest they're gonna have on is incredible. You will genuinely if you if you give even the slightest of craps about that game, uh, you will not want to miss that interview. Uh, it's gonna yeah. be amazing. And then after that, they are gonna be hosting some really incredible events. Um, it is dwarf versus greenskin themed, um, and so it is heavily encouraged for you to have a dwarf character or a greenskin character to participate in the fun. Apparently there's literally going to be a colossal slap fight somewhere in the world where it's literally open to anyone. So there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of people, probably thousands of people fighting each other. Uh, I've even been told certain people like certain guild masters and stuff are going to have special ranks. So you're literally going to be trying to kill the enemy commanders and stuff in the midst of these gigantic sprawling fights. Uh, it should be absolutely idiotic and a ton of fun. Uh, and there's a big, big reveal of some sort at the end. I don't know what it mm -hmm. is, but it sounds super exciting. So we just wanted to give a big shout out to those guys. Uh, they do incredible work. Uh, I've done a number of interviews with them on my channel. Uh, they work really, really hard, and they do it all for free so that nobody sues them. <laughs> so they just do it out of the good of their hearts. So uh, if you haven't already, be sure to check out uh, Warhammer Online Age of Reckoning, or uh, Return of Reckoning, excuse me. Uh, and if you're interested in watching the game uh, or just checking it out, uh, feel free to drop by my Twitch channel uh, tomorrow around probably like 4 p.m. CST. Um, so yeah, check that out. And then... Um, the one of the last major things to talk about before we kind of get into uh, last little wrap up things and discuss a few things is uh, just brief Age of Sigmar news, uh, just because mm -hmm. we kind of keep tabs on that and keep up with it. Uh, for those who are interested in Age of Sigmar, uh, third edition is finally actually beginning <laughs> because at long last, only My like God, 
only three months after they started it, they're finally releasing the first army books. So uh, they went on pre-order yesterday, uh, but the Stormcast Eternal book and the Auric Warclans books uh, will be coming out this upcoming Saturday. Um, from the reviews I've read, they're very interesting. Um, third mm -hmm. edition is looking like they're looking to simplify a lot of the unit cards. So yeah. do expect to be losing a lot of special rules, but it does seem to be making the game a lot smoother. Um, and there's a lot of really exciting new rules. Uh, a lot of units got buffed. Some things got messed with. I've heard Savage Orcs are like kind of really bad now, which is unfortunate. Um, but uh, the Cruel Boys are good, but I've heard the Savage Orcs are kind of bad. Uh, the Bone Splitters. And yeah. uh, they lost, I think they lost like 72 of their special rules and only gained like six. <laughs> Um, so they're kind of in a rough spot, but we'll see what's happening there. Uh, but the Stormcast Eternal's got a lot of goodies. I hear their new chariot is, like, amazing. Surprise, um, surprise. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, the new models you have to buy are really good? What, <laughs> what a surprise. Who saw that coming? <laughs> what, what do you mean my old models have, are really bad now? Wow, I've never... Hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, there's, there's just kind of a heads up uh, on yeah. that. They look cool though. Like uh, I do like the new stone cast and so on. I've been painting a few up myself. The um, the thing is, like obviously, like you said, there's like a three month delay until the the official start to the edition, which obviously could not be helped. That's really important to note because there has been a plague going on. I haven't but heard of it. They should have at least, um, like in my opinion, released some like online cards and stuff just to like get people going. And... Yeah, I will note apparently, and this is pretty cool. Um, if you buy the army books, there's a code on the back, uh, back cover. So like when you open, if when you open the back cover, there's a code that if you scan on the up, it's not they haven't updated or released it yet, but they're doing an updated app. Uh, apparently, yeah. it gives you a completely. 100% free digital version of the army book. Yeah, it's just like the 40k one. And uh, I believe, thing is, I'm kind of old school. I hate digital stuff, so I normally have the books with me at all times. Uh, but I believe when anything gets FAQ'd and so on, they update the, the digital one. I might be wrong there. Whereas I normally just uh, print the stuff. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Third edition's just started. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it looks uh, it looks good. Uh, I myself am very interested in the in the cruel boys. I was gonna play Uruk, uh, but not too keen myself on the nerf to the bone splitters because I was gonna kind of bring in savage boys and you know like yeah, I've cunning heard, boys. I mean, I've heard they're still playable. Like they're still usable but they've lost a lot of like i don't know if you're gonna be able to run them by themselves um so to speak but i haven't got my hands on the book yet so you know all this is kind of just stuff i've been reading on twitter and um obviously when it comes to like tabletop we're not gonna know jack about yeah. like what the meta is for like a good two or three months so there's no point in panicking right now. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll have to see what happens. Maybe someone will figure out a way to make Bone Splitters awesome, and it's really not as bad as it seems. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff, and they do uh, FAQ quite quickly. Didn't they do a really, really fast one for Age of Sigma recently? <laughs> well, yeah, because they were really slow on the first one, and they accidentally broke the game in a couple of ways, so they had to immediately release an FAQ for the FAQ <laughs> to make the game playable again. 
because people Ugh. were having because they they made us they they did some really silly stuff um oh, so yes the second faq was fairly quick <laughs> but uh just uh, man i'm, I'm just glad we get faqs i still remember warhammer fantasy when that was like a pipe dream you would never get faqs you were just God, arguing for rule you were just arguing about rules until your head exploded mm-hmm it's just oh, why so bad but uh i think that brings us uh pretty much to the conclusion for today um one thing i did want to ask anticity about uh kind of to get his thoughts on uh is that uh we do of course everyone knows that it is cathay month uh we don't know when but sometime this month um cathay will be revealed in all of its draconic and celestial and jade glory uh and what i'm curious uh, for our uh, multiplayer uh, expert here is do you have any hopes or thoughts or concerns when you hear about cathay like is there anything in particular you're you're looking forward to with the reveal or anything you're hoping to see Ooh. Ooh. not yeah, to put you on the spot but to, uh, you're on the spot <laughs> yeah yeah there's, honestly there, there's no concerns it could be actually i guess there's no way they could make it mega bland or something i i don't i can't see a world where it just goes terribly you know uh i i think it's just super exciting because well everyone knows why it's super exciting um i'm i'm particularly looking forward to what type of play style they will have though because like it could be it could be anything so as soon as i get that that would be that, that's what I'm mostly looking for is like, are they going to be, you know, is it, is it going to be like another elf faction? Is it going to be heavy, heavy magic monster based? I, I, I have be, no idea. I would be yeah. shocked if they don't have war machines and gunpowder. Yeah. Uh, I would be genuinely shocked, but I don't think like I could see cannons and I can see some kind of like rocket battery equivalent. Yeah. I, I'm expecting a lot of gunpowder. Like at this point, we don't know exactly uh what's changing in law i mean the, the kids level changes in law kind of threw me off because we could expect an Nobody army bears. and then so, so many bears <laughs> oh i guess i guess that would actually be a better question so we've actually seen corn and kislev what, what are your thoughts on those two hey man corn is gonna get cheesed so hard I don't see. <laughs> when, when you say cheese, do you mean that people are going to like be abusive with corn, or do you think corns? Are you saying corns just going to get slapped? Oh yeah, I think corns going to get slapped for sure. Uh, so. If I had to put out a, a raw prediction, there, it's it seems close enough to vampire counts, unless the one cannon unit manages to really pull things through. I feel like they'll they'll have some some hard times, but uh, I think Kislev is is sick. Just nice range of tools uh i think the the bear thing like you know some of the aesthetics bothers me a bit but not not like much to put me off it at all um and super unique too because it's all hybrid infantry which is like you do not see that anywhere else like you know there's lothar and seaguard but a faction of lothar and seaguard so oh yeah, yeah super super exciting yeah, when it comes to corn, he's like if he's if his like flesh hounds slash chaos warhounds slash furies are not literally the fastest thing in the game. I don't know. Well, you know what? We haven't seen his um, we haven't seen his um, 
what's that stupid giant demon called? The robot demon. Oh, the soul, uh, grinder. soul grinder. We haven't seen the soul grinder yet, and the corn soul grinder is has some kind of range thingy. Uh, I think it's got like a like a cannon arm or a flamethrower arm or something. So maybe that'll save him. But what's... yeah, I, he's gonna need unless because the only thing I was expecting to see with corn that I guess we really haven't was like a, an uh, enrage aura. Because, like, if Scarbrand had the ability to just, like, throw down an aura that made people, like, kind of like, um, um, what's her name, can? Old Hag. Dark Elves. Hellebron. Kind of like Hellebron can, where she, but Hellebron makes her own units go crazy. It'd be, maybe Korn needs something where he can make enemy units go crazy, so he can force them to charge. Yeah, interesting thing. I was playing a Norska campaign a while ago. They have a, a monster that you hunt that has a map-wide rampage mechanic. And it's it feels like perfect for for yeah I think it was like added uh, for Warhammer two it's like on a Hydra and yeah it's it's just a map wide rampage mechanic so I got to sort of see how that would work uh, like you know in in game and I feel like that honestly I have I have no idea because a lot of people really don't like rampage but uh, oh, I yeah. think I think it'd be cool yeah corn corn. Corn's gonna need something to allow him to survive not having skirmish or range units. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, because, like, I don't, I'm with you. I don't know what he's gonna do against, like, mass thunderers or mass kite. Like, if just a kiting wood elf or high elf army, I don't know what he would do. Just, it'll be terrible, but I'm excited to see it. I want to see what happens. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's been at the forefront of Duck's mind. <laughs> I know Duck is working on Warhammer Three. There's no way he's not. Maybe they'll have some kind of like crazy army ability in multiplayer that helps them out or something. Uh, well, great. Um, all right. So I, I think that's pretty much everything for today. Uh, we of course will be on the lookout for Cathay stuff. Uh, we don't really have anything to talk about today regarding them, but um, as soon as they're uh, is Cathay news? You can absolutely bet that the next Lord Beards will be heavily dedicated to it, um, because that'll be just you know the main focus. And yeah. um, but that should be it. So uh, real quick, uh, before we go, I'm just gonna kind of go down the list, and if everyone could kind of tell us just a big kind of like shout yourself out, you know, let us know once again who you are, where people can find you, what you're up to, what kind of content you're working on that people can look forward to in the future. Um, all that, all those good shenanigans kind of, you know, promote yourself here at the end. Uh, Intisti, uh, if you, why don't you uh, start us off? Yeah, so I am a very much primarily multiplayer-focused channel, going over tutorials and gameplay, live streams, casting games, the whole, the whole shebang for multiplayer. And uh, primarily the thing that I'm working on right now is the Ent Ladder, which is an upgraded quick battle system for Warhammer Total War that has leagues, rankings, ELO, and data tracking that you can all find on my Discord, along with a lot of the other major Discords too. The bot is running on multiple different areas, and as long as you're in my Discord, it can be completed mute, completely muted. You can go ahead and play on the ladder with better matchmaking to find opponents that are your skill level. Uh, other than that, uh, you can find me on YouTube. I post fairly regularly, maybe three videos a week so you can see me fairly often on there yeah and for anyone listening on the podcast sites intisity is e-n-t-i-c-i-t-y yeah just ent i and then city 
There you go. Yep. <laughs> Nathan, tell us, uh, you know, do the, do the whole pitch thing and tell us what you're up to these days and what you're going to be up to soon. Right. So uh, usual stuff. I post on YouTube, Great Book of Grudges, uh, near daily. Today there wasn't a video because I like to leave a day off when I do low bids. So that means I can relax a little bit and collect my thoughts. Uh, you can find me on Twitter with T Grudges. I normally bitch there constantly. So if you would like that type of stupid shit, I'm there. And uh, currently still trying to finish off a Armies on Parade board. Let's see if I can actually do this this year. Really trying. Really trying. <laughs> I, I can't. Failing. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I, I actually like have like a super nice board I had someone else make for me that's like designed for my Seraphon. It's kind of beat up though. I need to repair it. It's got some pink foam uh, showing i've been painting up some uh Sineshi stuff getting it ready but the problem is that i've kind of gotten busy now with lockdown finally ending i'm getting back to normal uh and actually uh yesterday i was demo tracking with my new band so i'm getting ready for hopefully a launch of an ep on in january so let's awesome let's hope all right uh and then uh i am Loremaster of sotek uh you're probably familiar with me if you're listening to this uh but if you're not uh, you can find me at LSOTEC on Twitter. I also have a Discord community. I stream on Twitch at www.twitch.tv slash LordMasterOfSOTEC, where I stream a lot of different games. I'm a variety streamer, technically, not just a Warhammer streamer. Uh, right now, we are working through The Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt, uh, as well as doing a round the war, round the world tour of all the different Warhammer fantasy, uh, Warhammer 2 factions, uh, doing like big, long campaigns we actually just finished our emirate campaign uh, which was a ton of fun and uh, the next time we do that we'll be diving into Krokgar. uh though uh i also uh have been just starting to play through pathfinder final Fan the final fantasy mmo and uh also uh going to be trying out total war troy very very soon um that pretty much does it for today want to thank everyone so much for coming by and for watching uh, whatever platform you may be watching this on. Uh, we appreciate the support and hope you're all enjoying Lorebeards. Uh, we will have some super duper exciting things to share with y'all in the future, but um, it's, we, well, you know, <laughs> can't talk about it yet, <laughs> but one day. Um, and um, hope you all have a lovely day. Thanks so much for watching. Have a great weekend, whatever. We'll see you guys next week. Whatever. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.